What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, let us know what you think about the episode, if there's questions you have um, pertaining to the topics we discussed, or if you'd like a completely different topic um, covered on the Diesel Podcast or a particular guest, let us know. We're always checking comments on there and love to hear you guys' feedback and then be able to get them on the future episodes. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Lenny Reed, the owner of Dynamite Diesel Products. I wanted to catch up with him and see what he's been working on with injector technology, some of the emissions testing they're doing with different injector setups, and also a listener had messaged in, and they had just got a 12-valve, and they wanted to get a little bit more power out of it for daily driving towing. Lenny's been around 12 valves and diesel performance for a really long time, so I'm going to ask him on the episode what, what he would do to be able to get a little bit more power out of it with fuel and air and be able to set it up as kind of the ultimate daily driver towing setup. Before we get to it though, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Kershaw Knives. If you're in the market for a knife, they've got a discount code just for diesel podcast listeners. Use code 20diesel at kershaw.kiausa.com. You get 20% off site-wide. Great way to save some money, some EDC gear, something for hunting, fishing, or just use around the house. Um, or, or the job site. So no matter what your budget is, they've definitely got a wide variety of products that are on there. Or if you're a knife enthusiast and are looking for something with a particular type of uh, blade steel, handle material, opening mechanism, they have a bunch of new releases this year, which we covered on the podcast with them. Definitely head on over, check them out. Use code 20 diesel to save 20%. All right, let's get to today's episode with Lenny Reed of Dynamite Diesel Products, talking injectors, um, specifying out a 12-valve daily driver towing build, and a ton more. Welcome back to the Diesel Podcast, Lenny. I, I enjoy our early morning chats where we get to talk diesel performance, and I learn what new things you guys have going on, which I see you guys always have a ton of stuff going on there, staying busy there. So uh, look forward to our chat today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got a lot of people to try and keep busy, so we got to stay moving or else, uh, you know, the ship sinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know we're going to get into some of the new equipment and some project trucks you have on, but interestingly, right before the podcast, I had gotten an email from a listener and uh, his um, he inherited a 12-valve and he was just starting out on it. And he said, hey, do you have any episodes talking about what I should do to get a little bit more power, things I should look out for? And I know you've been playing with trucks for, gosh, since before. I was even into diesel truck. So I thought I'd ask you, like, if you had a 12 valve, it was bone stock, you want to get a little bit more power out of it. What are some things you would look at doing to improve the performance, even the reliability of it? Uh, well, I mean, if it's like a VE 12 valve or a P pump 12 valve, and then it's a P pump. Of course, there's, okay. So, you know, that's, we get the same, you know, we got the custom injector order form at the shop. So people just put on there like P pump. And that doesn't really tell me a whole lot. It says 160s, 175s, 180s, 215s, and they all respond differently to different delivery valves and injectors and all the stuff, right? But but if he's got something that he inherited and he doesn't want to tear it all up, then, you know, like step one, at this point, like check the fuel supply pressure and make sure that it's no lower than 20 at any point in the throttle. So take it out on the street with a fuel pressure gauge and uh, make sure it does not drop below 20. And as long as it's above 20, then you're basically good to go doesn't have to have 60 doesn't need 100 just needs more than 20 so fuel supply pressure of course there's that killer dowel pin that we all used to fix back in the old days so you got to pump you got to pop the front tin cover off there's a cummins makes like a one dollar little tab that you put over this spot where the dowel pin kind of drives its way out and just vibrates out and then of course it gets pinched between the pump gear and the cam gear and it blows the front housing up and that's a good thing to fix at this point the uh the fuel grid heater should either be updated or deleted kind of a thing. So if you don't live in a cold climate, then deleting it's completely fine and you won't need it. You won't ever miss it. But if you live in a cold climate, then you probably want to keep that sucker and make sure that cold mornings, the thing still starts and runs the way it's supposed to. But at this point, those things, the gaskets on them trucks are so old, they're getting so dry. It's just going to leak and what have you and draw air in and it'll be hard to start. Um, as another general basic, like check the timing and then think to yourself about the actual RPM that you're going to spin the motor. And then the first question is, am I going to leave the stock turbo on it? Because if you're going to leave stock turbo on it, you're only going to have like 3,200 RPM with a good air. So you don't need a whole lot of injection advance for that. So you just put like 15, 16 degrees in it and a set of like ones or twos. And that'll be a very polite, nice, clean bump. 
without touching cam plate or any of the other stuff. Um, if you're going to put, say, like a, a high-performance T3, you know, 57 to, say, 62, 63 millimeter, 64 millimeter wheel, then you've got enough air for 36, 3700 RPM, and maybe 17 or 18 degrees of timing would be good with uh, that same set of stage twos, but maybe add a cam plate and get the anorate housing dialed in just right. And there's your, you know, 400, 450 horsepower recipe. And of course, you know, like at that point, you got transmission issues and all the other stuff. So, I mean, it's a pretty, those trucks were built with such low power back in the old day. Adding even a hundred is a big deal to those trucks. Yeah. Because they only, you know, on the, on the tire, like a 215 truck made at the tire, like 195, 200 kind of a thing. So, you know, you get it to make 400 and there's a lot of other things that need to go into play, but, um, and like on our, on our YouTube channel, the, uh, we've been giving people a lot more information on those trucks because I've got one, two, I think I've got three or maybe four of those things right now. And, uh, they're all at different stages. Um, I've got like power driven cylinder head going in one and we've got a set of, uh, we got a 6.7 liter crank with some Waggler 80,000 shorter rods going in one. So it'll still be a 5.9 bore, but it'll have a good set of valves in it and good flown head and a 6.7 stroke. And so we're trying a bunch of different stuff with those trucks and different turbos and cheetahs and, you know, drop in bolt ins and compound kits. And because here in the, you know, the last two, three years, like truck values have gone up so much and, a lot of people can't swing a hundred thousand dollar truck. And if they can, they don't want to, because that's a 14, 15, $1,600 payment every month. That's just dumb. So yeah, those old trucks, even the, you know, like early common rails are getting to be really popular again. And that's, it's awesome for us because we're in the building of, you know, we're remanding injectors. So it's great, but yeah, we're doing a lot with those things. I was just browsing over his email. I pulled it up on here and it's a 94 and he's telling me his main goal is just, towing and kind of the ultimate relate ultimate reliable daily driver so i was thinking and i know the transmission's separate and he's gonna have to do that it's an automatic so he's gonna have to do it regardless of kind of what he does but where would you say is a nice power range to keep those where say you weren't going to do a turbo um but you wanted to have a little bit more for towing and daily driving um what would you say would it be like 300 350 that the tire would be a good spot um, I would say with the factory turbo, you're going to be limited to 350. You had not bit. Love you. Uh, factory turbo is limited right at 350 horsepower if everything's perfect. So if it's going to be a nice, reliable truck, like 300 to 325 is a pretty good spot. So it's just one of those boost elbows to play with the wastegate actuator and a cam plate and a set of twos and like 16, 17 degrees timing. Not a lot. Okay. that's that would be my but you're going to have like a valve body or a clutch you know if it's a five speed or an auto you're going to have possibly a torque converter so there's there's other things than just making the power that make it reliable because man then things that that was either a 160 or 175 rated truck so we're going to double the amount of output out of that sucker and everything behind the engine is going to be stretched pretty tight so just think about that there's another question in here, and people have asked me this before, so I thought we could get like two birds with one stone here right off the bat. But he wanted to run multiple fuels. And I don't think I've asked you on the podcast. You build injectors. You're working on fuel systems. Do you see any detriment to running like biodiesel or some of these other things when you get cores in or people call you? What's your opinion on that? My opinion is I've seen people send in stuff for testing that runs like garbage. And then when you send them photographs of what the inside of their parts, like they get really offended because you know, it's, it's kind of like a winemaker. Like you can go to the store and buy a bottle of wine that a bunch of people think is good, <laughs> or you buy a kit and you think you're going to make your own beer, your own wine. And it tastes like uh, you know, two steps worse than dog shit. But to you, like you've got your pride in it and you yeah. think that it's really good. You know, it's not. So some of the stuff is really, really, have a good day. Uh, some of the stuff is just fine and there's really nothing wrong with it. And some of it has been horrific. So I don't know. I don't really know how else to put it. 
is it horrible? It can be horrible. Is it bad? Not necessarily. I mean, I think if you're going to do like a B15 or maybe a B20 blend and you're in the right climate, because those things, the bios don't love cold weather at all. So I, I mean, heck, I used to have a customer that would come in annually with a 7.3 liter power stroke. And it was two gals that had this 7.3 liter power stroke and the back of the truck was always, they, they did like dog shows. Uh, and annually, this thing needed injector O-rings. So they would come in and be like, well, you know, we save so much money on fuel that we don't care that we're here once a year. And I thought, you people are nuts. Like, it's just crazy. But they would go to like fast food stores and they would recycle the grease and then cook it up and do whatever and filter it. And they would run that thing on like McDonald's, you know, like fry oil. So I don't know, it seemed like a lot of work to me, but it, it seemed to work, I guess. So there's that. It was it was probably free. You know, back then it was probably free. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's something we get uh, you know, every every now and then. And I was thinking of something else. I know I didn't prep you for this when we were chatting before. But I've had <laughs> but I've had other listeners ask about then I don't know anything, so I'm going to sound completely naive. About in California, a different kind of blend of diesel fuel, and I don't know exactly what they're blending it with or what they're doing, but um, people have asked, you know, I wish I could remember what it was. You might be more familiar with a lot of the carb testing, a lot of the things you guys are doing, but different types of blends of diesel that uh, that may be out there. Um, you know, does it affect the I fuel systems? The pump, like the last time I was in California was probably – I don't know, before the zombie apocalypse. But they used to say it was a B, I want to say it was like a B25 or a B30 is what the pump said was allowed at the pump. And here locally, I think the most that we can have is like a B15 or a B20. So I know that they can run more bio in California. But other than that, like I, I mean, we, I don't really have a whole lot to do with California. I don't, I don't really go there. Yeah. Yeah, I know that uh, kind of the whole, well, it's been a topic on a lot of our podcasts is talking about, um, you know, emissions compliant injectors and fuel systems and, you know, that whole process. And I, I've seen some posts and some builds and some things you guys are working on, but I haven't chatted with you direct about them here recently. So I wanted to ask you, what's new on that front with the injectors that you're working on for these newer trucks? Uh, a lot. So our 2019 truck is going to be, we're putting, so we've been, okay, so we'll just start with the newest and go back. Um, with the 2019, we had an HO truck that was completely dialed in, awesomely perfect, made 440 to the rear tire. I drove the thing for about 40,000 miles once we finally had like version 327 worth of injectors put in it. And then we finally got the calibration right. Because the new style trucks, you can put a big injector in them. And what they do is they have a torque management system in them. So you put like a 300 horsepower worth of injector in it and it gets to stock horsepower level and then it cuts itself off at X amount of microseconds. So factory, it would make like 17, 1800 US, put a bit bigger injector in it and it goes into regen more often and it makes factory horsepower, but it does it at say, you know, 1200 US. So it would just get to a certain torque level and then boom, that was it. It just stopped. So we ended up editing the torque management in that thing. And then we had to lean down a bunch of parameters in the bottom end to get it straight and square. So once I was like, man, I'm so proud. Like this thing's going to get tested. It's going to be wicked. Uh, my next dilemma was on the valve cover. There's like an emissions number. And that truck was only going to give me a carb or an EO number for that truck. It wasn't going to broadcast to any other year make models. So... <clears throat> With that and SEMA Garage, there's like this Christmas tree looking thing. And it says like your emissions number is here and it could branch out into a bunch of different trucks. So they told me which truck would be the most valuable as far as like if I get this one to run, it'll, you know, it'll cover a bunch more trucks. So I basically took that number and I started calling up every dealership on the planet. And I started calling these salespeople that, you know, they're like, oh, do you want leather? Do you want like pink? Do you want gray? Do you want black? And I'm like, no, just pop the hood and look at the, the valve cover and send me a picture of that little sticker on the side of the valve cover. I don't give a shit what color it is. I don't care what options it has or doesn't have. I just have to find a certain valve cover. And then I found one 
the truck was used and I paid more for this than I did my super pimped out dually because, you know, COVID. And, uh, but I found the unicorn truck and this truck will cover HOSO from 20 all the way back to 15. Uh, so that's huge because once we get this truck to make, say if we get this truck to make a hundred horsepower overstock, then this truck, when we're done with this one, automatically gives us the same documentation because this is the worst emissions offender as far as like a stock OEM in those years. Once we fix this one, then the government gives us the same carb or EO on a hundred horsepower injector all the way back to 15 HO and SO. So this truck's very exciting for us because this will give us, you know, once a year worth of waiting and paperwork is done, then this will give us a lot of coverage and fleece boys have a, uh, I believe it's an 08 truck, which is also the unicorn because that truck covers like that very first 07 and a half clear up to 15. So when I'm done doing injectors to this truck, I'm going to give this truck to fleece and then they'll be able to cover like that base, you know, with their fleece cheetahs and all that stuff. So we're, since we don't both have the same truck, we, we, need, we both have unicorns, we're going to do what we can to try and make the the entire industry um calibrated power addiction or calibrated, calibrated power solutions is going to be the ones that are calibrating this truck for me so this will give them a bunch of carbio ability to test from so we're we're using unicorn trucks to try and cover as much as we can to get this industry as caught up as fast as possible um because that really is you know whether you're a shop or a a truck owner, the liability of doing just what has been done recklessly in the past 15 years, there's too much liability there. You can't make money if you're just going to be giving it back to the government in fines and citations and such. So we're, we're focusing on that a lot. So that being said, I also have, <clears throat> so that covers all the six sevens for me between the fleece truck and this truck. And then, uh, the next truck that I purchase will either be a power stroke or it'll be like a Duramax of LML or something like that. And then we can start working on that one too. Um, I've also got the early Cummins stuff here. I've got a couple of those trucks that were, you know, I bought these trucks and they're, they're definitely not new, right? Like you can't really find a 2003 to 2005. That's a low mileage truck really. So I've got a couple of them here. We've got one with the transmission out. We're building a Franny for right now. And that'll, again, hold about 450 horsepower. Because if I can put, say, a 120 horsepower injector in it with factory calibration and get it to gas test, then that 120, the 90, the 50, the, the, the Echoes, all those injectors get tested because you've got the big one to pass. They grant you the ability to, to advertise that you've got a carb EO on everything smaller as well. So we're working on that stuff pretty feverishly, actually. And then Mitch, the mechanic, he's the only guy I got that works on any trucks around here, but he's here 40 hours a week just doing stuff for these projects. So it's it's pretty expensive and it's pretty painful, um, but we're learning a lot. And the dyno, uh, the folks at Dyno.com are working on creating the, uh, I think it's the FTP 75 test. And they're going to give us that test plan for our dyno because that's the one that the government wants us to use. So we'll have that test implemented in our dyno so we can do our own, you know, pre-gas testing here. And once I know that it'll pass, then I'll throw the keys. We'll drive it down to, I think it's Diamond Bar, California, and we'll give it to the guys at SEMA Garage so they can stamp it and, you know, go through their stuff without having to call me up and be like, hey, man, you missed it. You know, like I'd rather I'd rather fix it all here and then just yeah. give them something for fire deal. I thought of a question when you're talking about that 03. So that one, because people ask this a lot, is is the uh, the testing or the way that you build injectors the same on a pre-07? Like, do you need to still go through the same process you would on like a 2015 or 2020 with yeah, these on-road you know, injectors? Yeah, it's the same process. You still got to, basically, when these trucks got manufactured, they were tested by the government, right? And uh, you can, you're allowed about 10% deviation within the factory specifications. And of course, they want you to be lower than the factory's knocks and all that stuff. 
And that's actually not hard for me. It's hard for a tuner because what they're doing is they're giving it like more pressure and you can only give it so much more pressure without modifying the truck elsewise. And of course, too much pressure is really hard on like injection parts or they give it more duration. And by giving it more duration, you're actually going to create more unburned gases because the piston's running away from compression as you're adding fuel. So that's going to mess up the gases with what we do. You know, we're just increasing the amount of, of fuel in hopefully the same or a shorter window of time than the factory did it. And for us, with the amount of tools that we have right now, I, you know, I've pounded on K-Factor for years because it's such a big, big, big deal. And now being able to move wire diameter within one-tenth of one-thousandths and then create K-Factor after that, that is... Uh, that's our advantage. Like we have all the tools in the house so we can beat an injector up for two or three or four days, bring it out here, hand them to Mitch. A couple hours later, they're in a truck, they're running. We do some gas testing. And if we miss it by a mile, then we go back to town and we redo the injectors. And then we come back out and, you know, in one week we can, we can easily try three sets of injectors anyways. So, and that's for the thing even makes a mile on the blacktop. You're just on the dyno, just doing gas testing equipment. So once a gas test, then you get it on the blacktop and then you make sure it's going to run correctly. And then you drive it a uh, truckload. So you can actually make sure it's not going to do like long-term damage to DPF and SCR and EGR and all the things, right? That's a tremendous I sounded advantage. far right there, didn't I? <laughs> like SCR, DPF, like I pulled some stuff out of there. <laughs> Well, it's a tremendous, you know, advantage, I think, compared to where things used to be. Um, almost, I don't want to say guesswork, but it seemed, it didn't seem as streamlined. Like you'd mentioned wanting to do this testing before you send it to California to have it tested and somebody tell you, oh, you just missed it. You got to redo it. That's a lot of money and a lot yeah. of time and everything invested. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you contact SEMA Garage, you're not the only guy that they're working with. So when they finally bring your truck in and they finally, you know, start testing it, and now it's 13 or 1700 miles away and you got to run back down there, get your junk, bring it home, tweak it, and then hope that you guessed correctly. It's completely ridiculous. So, you know, once my stuff's all done, once dynamite stuff is all done, I'm going to offer this service to other people in my industry to help them get caught up so they can send it out and get it stamped because we are fast. We are efficient at this. Like I can, I don't really care. It, I, I want the entire industry to flourish and bloom and blossom. And I can't make it fashionable by myself. Like our one company isn't going to make, and when I say fashionable, like uh, girlfriend's kid, he's like 16. He's got a second gen and, you know, all of his buddies are into like second gen Dodges and old Duramaxes and power junks and like 7.3s that smoke. And I'm just like, Ugh. but they're showing me these videos of like kids that go to a gas station at night, right? And they all got these like super wide wheels and they're just sitting at a gas station filming each other and shooting like drone shots of, of this pack of like three pickup trucks that completely not legal doesn't, you know, wouldn't, it, it's going to kill ball joints like every seven or eight minutes, but yet they're getting 40,000 views, 40,000 likes. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like mirrors tipped out looking like, I just, it's, it's mind blowing that the fashion has changed to eight inch exhaust tips and super wide wheels to where, when we were, you know, getting this thing moving, it was 325 horsepower. Then it was 400, then it was 500, then it was 600. And then it was 800 and nobody keep a motor together. And then ARP came out with some studs and then we started keeping stuff together again. And now that's all but gone. Like it, it's not gone because there's still a lot of people who love horsepower, but no matter what I do, the smokiest, nastiest burnout, a 25 horsepower dyno run, you don't see 40,000 likes in just two or three days. You don't see, you don't see 72 hours of activity and get 40,000 likes. So we, we're going to have to make this legal and make it fashionable and, and it'll, it'll be all right. Like I, it's everybody. I snowmobile a lot, and I've been doing that since Jesus was a foot soldier. So back in the old day, little tiny tracks with little tiny cleats, and then we'd put a bigger track on it with a little bit bigger cleat, and then all of a sudden you had like enough traction, you could add some horsepower, and then you added horsepower, and then the track was too small, 
and then you added more horsepower and then the tractor too small and then so it was just a, and now you just go buy it and it's ridiculous but that's the same thing that's going to happen with these like i'm you know you, you got these guys that want to have them look in a certain way but then pretty soon they're going to watch their girlfriend drive away in a faster truck and they're going to like whoa what happened and all of a sudden carb tested injectors to make a bunch of power is going to be cool again so I, I i'm not afraid of what's going on in the industry we're and we've got a lot of other things going with the OEM stuff too. So life's pretty good right now. I'm pretty happy. It's really interesting you mentioned that because I was I did an episode with Ryan Milliken and we were talking about a bunch of different race stuff. But um, you know, he said that the big barrier moving forward is that you know a lot of these five nines and LB sevens and and you know trucks like that they're getting old, they're getting rusty, and they're ending up in um, you know junkyards and things like that. And for the longest time. It, these newer trucks have just, you know, you could get upgrades for them, but it wasn't unleashed like it was way back when. What made it exciting was, you know, to go to a lot and find a, you know, brand new 0659 and you'd stop at a diesel performance shop and you do your injectors and a turbo and then you break your transmission and you put a built transmission in it and now you're having fun with it and how that's the future of it. So I found it really interesting with the collaborations and the, you know, that you mentioned with um, like that 08 and then, yeah, that uh, six seven that you got, and really making diesel exciting again, which is maybe part of the reason with you know the younger guys is you know they're doing the the, the wheels and the tires and these other sorts of things, um, because the performance you know on the newer ones it's it's not like the old ones where like you mentioned it was eight hundred horsepower then a thousand and somebody made fifteen then somebody hit two, and it was yeah. all exciting. And it's felt like the newer ones have been a little slower, but it's, I think, because guys like yourself and companies like Dynamite have been lining all these things up so you can release injectors that aren't just for one year range of truck, they're for five years, you know, and you it's, can get, get these things going. When you deal with a government entity, anything that the government's, you know, got their hands in, it slows down. Like there is a lot of checks and balances that are going to happen and we want to do it correctly. We're not trying to do anything shady. So we're going to play the game and play by the rules and do all the things that we need to do to make sure that they are comfortable and they are happy with what we're doing. But again, man, like if you're listening to this podcast and you're out rolling coal, like swing by my house, I want to punch you in the goddamn face because you're the reason that everybody's getting popped and beat up anyway. They don't, they don't know how much Nox gas is in that black garbage you're spitting out, but you're the offensive one. You're the one that's taken all the fun out of this industry so please just stop or swing by. Like, we'll talk about it or just get punched in the face. Whatever. <laughs> with uh, no, that, with... that's, <laughs> you know, whole geometry. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine that I haven't spoke to in quite some years, and he's in the diesel industry as well. And he's now buying some parts from me. And uh, he's like, hey, what are these things going to run like this LML if I do this, that, and the other? I'm like, stock really you're gonna have like you know a 100 horsepower injector act like stock i'm like yeah it's gonna be like stock because we've already designed that the way that that whole shape is in the old day all we could do is just run a bunch of extrude home media through it and we were taking that straight contour and we were blowing it way open and it's like it's like trying to it's like trying to saw the barrel of a shotgun off and asking it to still reach the same distance. It doesn't work. So when we were just blowing that hole, you know, it starts with some K factor at the tip. And then we just kept on opening, 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 opening. And the only way they really worked was on a bunch of nitrous because nitrous doesn't care. You just shove a bunch of oxygen in there and it doesn't have to happen in the chamber of the piston. It happens everywhere. Uh, but outside of that, we made them real smoky and what have you. And now moving wire diameter and then creating AFM, abrasive flow machining, or some people refer to it as slurry compared to mud. The AFM really only works on just a few thousandths of an inch to create that K factor. And it doesn't do anything to the bore of the hole of the spray orifice. So the stuff just doesn't smoke today like it did three, four, five years ago. And, you know, we've, with, with COVID, the, the challenges to get parts didn't hit me because when we bought, when COVID first hit, we punted and we, we partnered up with like a couple of different WDs that were really willing to like stockpile big. 
And we bought every freaking nozzle we could buy for well over a year. We tried some different suppliers and we had some warranty issues, things like that. And we've learned who to use and who not to use. And I've also learned that really, truthfully, if you're going to be in control of your own destiny, that's an absolute. You have to be in control of your own destiny. So even though I've got a couple of partners in this world that we're buying nozzles from right now, um, we've we've definitely decided to embark on building our own nozzles. So we're going to be the only people in the USA, Canada, Mexico, South America that can manufacture a 20 foot long piece of bar stock steel and turn it into a nozzle. So the uh, the capital investment that we're spending this year will be five, almost six times what my building cost. So the tools going in my building in the next 12 months will be five to six times the cost of my building. But, and that's why nobody does it. It's so bloody expensive. Uh, and then the other thing is, is <clears throat> um, I have an extremely qualified human being in my corner that has 30 he, he worked for a, a very large OEM and was responsible for manufacturing 12,000 nozzles per day. So this guy knows everybody in the world that has made a good tool, an intermediate tool, or a poor tool. So he's the, he's the spearhead of this project. He's the guy that's connecting me with everybody. He's the guy that's making sure that if I surf and find some guy that makes a tool, he goes, I have, or he goes, oh, yeah, he's a pretty all right guy. But you know, the, the question is always in the integrity of the machine or yeah, they can make some pretty good machines, but customer service is horrible. So he's the one that's responsible for me cutting to the chase really, really quickly because doing what we're doing, you know, he, he's got, he was responsible for 49 EDMs on two 10 hour shifts. So in 20 hours a day, he was manufacturing uh, 12,000 nozzles per day. And uh, they were extremely high quality nozzles. So like his stuff would all live like a half million miles, not 150, 200,000. So we've been looking at like all the parts that we use now and he's figured out what we need to do to make things live better materials that need to be better the machines measuring devices like last week i flew and uh went to look at a company and all we all we were looking at is tools that measure stuff and it's a quarter million bucks but when you're measuring stuff um basically you've got this little probe that reaches out and you program the probe to go where it goes and it's uh it's got a certain amount of force to measure things um so the surface area where the nozzle meets the body it measures two circular patterns on that to see what kind of hips and valleys and dips and highs and lows there are. Um, and we were finding stuff that's 20 micron out. Well, two is spec. So if you're within two, you've got a nice flat true surface that'll bolt to a body and there's no leak. Uh, some of the stuff that I had there was 20 micron out. So that's gonna create like a big leak between, it's just a mess. So, then we tried lapping them and lapping them really only made things worse. So the finish that gets done to that needle valve and the nozzle uh, has to be what they call super finished in the end. Um, and that's a whole nother machine. You would reach the same machine reaches inside and it measures where the bore guide is that holds the needle valve like in place on the way in and out. Uh, bear in mind, that's not stroking very far, um, but the bore guide, it measures five different spots of the bore guide, so it can kind of give you a digital image of what that bore guide looks like, like nothing's absolutely perfect, but again, two micron is kind of what you're allowed. It reaches all the way into the seat, and it measures the seat around to make sure the seat isn't doing anything funky, and again, you're you're given two micron. Uh, and a micron is like 40 millionths of an inch. So you're, you're not, you're measuring things that are extremely precise. And an example is when you flip the nozzle over and you're going to take a digital image using that tool, you put the nozzle on the machine, you tighten up the chuck, 
and then after you're done, if, if you just hit go and start measuring, you're going to see that there's like a 20 micron problem there. So then when you're done measuring, you, you take a piece of lint-free cloth with alcohol, you smear it down, you rub it, you clean it, and just a quick blow dry with air. And uh, you want to make sure your air is really dry and really clean. And that 20 micron problem that you just had was the oil on your fingers. Wow. Yeah. So measuring things that small is that precise. And that's why they're so expensive. Fortunately, those guys were in the USA and the dude that we're going to be buying the tools from has been doing this for like 30 years. He knows a lot and he was able to help me out learning quite a bit in a short duration of time. Um, and that's a really big deal. You know, if you've got a good personality match with whoever's going to help you with these tools in the future, you know, you can get a hold of them 24 seven kind of a thing and try and figure out what's going on. And with 30 years experience doing just that, he's a pretty sharp guy. So <clears throat> yeah, machining and tools and trying to bring that the USA for forever. It was, it's been way less expensive to manufacture a nozzle in Brazil or China or Italy or Turkey or Poland or wherever. But with supply chain issues, people don't really care about an extra 20 or 30% on the nozzle cost now. If you can give them a high quality part and you can make their truck run again, I think that we're going to sell parts again. So we're, we're going, it's not that I'm not going to use the partners because even when we get to making nozzles, we'll be limited on how many different parts we can make and we'll be limited on how many of those parts. Like I'm going to start, we've got one EDM cooking. We can do about 125 to 140 nozzles in an eight hour shift right now. We've got a second EDM being manufactured. So that'll double because each EDM, once you chuck the part on the EDM, you have, you know, like call it two and a half to five, five and a half minutes, depending on what you're burning of downtime. So the operator is going to be responsible for using two EDMs. So that one operator in eight hour shift is going to be, you know, doing double what we do right now. Or the Swift center will be able to manufacture parts, you know, all throughout the night, basically, if we wanted to. And that thing can manufacture a heck of a lot more parts than our EDM can do. Um, there's throughout the process, like I'm, I'm trying not to give up like how to make a nozzle. Throughout the process, there's at least five or six different steps and tools and measurings. And you really, again, because I have a guy that I hired that's just a super amazing human. Um, like he's, he doesn't need to work at all. Like he loves his wife, likes to hang out with his wife. They've been together for, you know, I think it's like 45, 47 years. Um, and she's like, honey, did we lose a bunch of money? I don't know about like, is there a problem? Like, why are you working again? And he's like, no, no, no. I, I told this guy years ago that I would help him and you know, he come up with a really good idea and I want to help him. So um, I'm just helping him. And she's like, huh? Okay. I just wanted to make sure we didn't lose a bunch of money in the stock market. He's like, nah, fine. He's just a real good dude. And having him, you know, be the guy in the driver's seat is pretty amazing because he's, he knows this like what that guy teaches me every time I talk to him is invaluable information so I would I would truthfully challenge anybody on the planet to try and do this in a shorter duration of time and make it come out correct because I just after learning some of the details and I'm not saying I know anything yet because I don't but after hanging out with this guy like you could make a lot of mistakes super expensive ones and uh I just yeah I'm not into that so really exciting and but yeah like john deere nozzles we're going to be doing john deere nozzles because one of the people that we're partnered with on on what we do now is really big in john deere so we're going to be stocking and warehousing a lot more oem parts in the next few years just to keep detroit series 60 pack car isx 15 common rail um you know a bunch of caterpillar stuff like trying to keep all of that stuff running not just for you know, power strokes and Duramaxes and Cummins is we're going to, we're, we're changing, putting it in a new lane and then going to help out the big rig stuff too. And we've done a lot of balancing on like uh, ISX 15 lately, that stuff. It seems like the bigger the engine, 
the more acceptant the drivers are to it running like a bag full of hammers. So you give them something. We had we had a set of injectors come in, and this was just a stock set of injectors, and they were out by thirty percent from idle all the way to the big end. And we straightened out the nozzles, cleaned them up. The nozzle looks like it looks like something Fred Flintstone did with a hammer and a stone. It's horrible. And then the deviation rate, you know, thirty percent is a big swing. By the time we fixed that 30% and brought it within like two or 3%, sent the injectors back to the cat. He's like, this, I can barely hear this thing idle anymore. Well, I bet when he got one hole hitting 30% harder and the other one's struggling to keep up. Yeah. I, I bet that thing shook pretty bad. He'd been driving it for, I don't know how many miles, 200,000, 300,000 miles. It was a big old semi truck, you know, and now he's like, ah, oh, this thing, I can't even hear running. Good. <laughs> something really interesting <clears throat> with, we did an episode, I think it was March of 2020, right when everything was like kicking off. And um, some chats we had after that where I remember on the podcast, you said, I'm all in. I'm spending more money than I ever spent to get these things. I'm investing in this technology, I'm investing in this material. And I'm bringing this yeah. up because I know you want to help the industry and you care about it. And I know that's genuine. And what I do people don't listen to the diesel podcast for me and I totally get it and I'm cool with it. They listen for the guests that, that we have on and I'll get a messages, emails, DMS on Instagram and somebody will say, Hey, can you guys get this company on and talk to them? And I'll reach out to them and I'll say, Hey, um, we got some people interested in hearing about your product. When do you want to come on to the podcast? And they'll say, Oh, I, I can't come on till Q3 or Q4. Um, we're not ready. We don't have this ready to go. Um, or it's just, they don't have the ability to even talk about the product. And I think I just saw a major difference between two different approaches is, I mean, you said I'm spending a ton of money. I'm getting all these things because I want to have this ready to go. I want my testing procedures in place. I want my team together so that I can not just keep the company going, but expand it, make it bigger. And I know that there's going to be somebody listening has an idea for a part or they've been in this industry a really long time. And I think that's a really key point because I see both sides. I see places pull back where they don't even want to talk about the product. They don't even want to mention it. They want to wait till everything's lined up. But meanwhile, there's five other places that have the parts ready. The testing's done. So me trying to deliver what the listener wants, I got to say, hey, I get these other companies on to talk about it because it's ready to go. They want to talk about it. So I think that's a really yeah. key point. And you mentioned it, you know, with Dynamite Diesel products, the things you're doing with Fleece and other places. So I wanted your opinion or for you to expand on that a little bit. The importance of that, not just for your company, but also for the diesel aftermarket, because it's, it's crucial, um, you know, for the future and the viability of it. And I don't want that message to get lost or to it just be glossed over. I think it's really, really important. So I, I kind of giggled just a minute ago because you said you reminded me of a time when I said, Hey, I'm all in, I'm spending more money, never blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. That was true that day. I was scared to spend the money. I was scared. Right. But then we did it. And this year, so this year we have a, uh, I purchased a P pump stand that's, electric motor 40 horsepower so it's a lot of motor because most you know any bosch stand or whatever is going to be like 10 to 15 horsepower and then if you start squirting a bunch of fuel at a lot of rpm trying to find the governor stall speed becomes impossible because it actually shuts the 10 or 15 horsepower motor down before the pump runs out of ass so it you need a big motor to spin a street driven p-pump truck um so that thing's sitting in a crate and that sucks because the reason I own that P pump stand isn't so we can get into like remanufacturing pumps. It's because the P pump builders of now and yesteryear didn't look at injectors like I do. I'm looking at injector like it's a common rail. So our P pump stand has a pressure transducer in both ends of the receiving lines. So we can help somebody knowing what a delivery valve a line diameter and an injector nozzle, pop pressure, the plunger in the pump, the camshaft profile in the pump. I want to be able to take all of those things and those variables 
And then when somebody calls up and goes, man, I bought a set of your fours, one of the smokiest things ever. Okay, well, what do you have? Well, I got a P-pump. Is it a 160? Yes. Has it been benched? No. Well, you don't have near enough pump for that kind of volume of nozzle, so it's going to be a smoky mess. When somebody calls up and says, I have a set of your stage fours, they're crystal clean. They run like a dream. The guy's got like a very mild cam plate and a 215 pump that's been benched. He has enough volume to hit the nozzle really, really quickly, and it makes a bunch of power. I want to be able to basically build a version of rate shape for mechanical injectors, and that data is going to be in that injection line. So when you leave the pump and you get to the nozzle, there's going to be two different time lapses on how the, because the line's just an accumulator, right? And when you charge both ends of the line and when that line retracts, your, your delivery valve is responsible for the retraction and your pump and camshaft profile and all those things is responsible for how fast you charge the line. And then if the nozzle's too big, you're going to evacuate the line too soon. So we bought this P-pump stand because I wanted to look at all that data. And currently we've got construction starting here pretty soon. We're going to build it on the mezzanine because two of these machines, there's a big grinder that we have to have to manufacture needle valves. And there's also a tool that's going to do the internal diameter grinding for the nozzle. And both those machines weigh like 25,000 pounds each. So we've got to open up the floor. We've got to pour footings underneath there. And then we've got to like redo the part of the floor where those machines sit because they can have absolutely zero vibration being inputted into them. Otherwise, your parts are going to have machining marks. And when you're measuring micron, you yeah. can't have machining not be correct. So, you know, when we pull something out of the Swiss, the Swiss machine that looks like a nozzle, to everybody on the planet, they'd be like, that's badass. You just spit a nozzle out. And I'd be like, no, that's not even close. Like, that's 80% of what it's going to look like. But it won't even look the same way after it goes through a couple more grinding processes. So now, like, Jesus, we bought, I think we bought three common rail benches this year that are just better benches. They're more accurate. They're more stable. One of them's factory rated to measure a thousand mm cubed. And it's something you would see in like the locomotive industry. So you put one injector in it and it measures rate shape and all this stuff and it's amazing. Uh, but man, I tell you like when I used to be scared, <laughs> the growth has followed the everything. So I'm not scared of anything any longer because the people are willing to buy parts as long as you can give them good quality parts. So compared to some of the stuff that we've been selling, or I shouldn't say we've been selling, but some of the stuff that others have been selling, we're just going to have a lot better pieces, a lot better parts. And at the end of the day, like every shop owner on the planet that I ever talked to is like, man, just thank you. Just thank you for not making bullshit parts that we have to take out three times and send in for warranty. My customer gets upset because they can't come get the truck on time. Just thank you. And, you know, like we've got Chris Krebs and Tim Moore and both those guys are, 100% on the phone, 100% of the time. And they know that if there's anything that sounds like it's our fault, they just ship stuff out, take care of the customer and make sure that it's taken care of. Get the old stuff back. Let's measure it, make sure it's good or bad. But don't hassle with people. Like our our warranty, like we know, we're not stupid. If you, if you buy a, a 12 millimeter pump, more than likely, it's not going to have anything wrong with it especially if you put it in a single uh, pump application. But if you plumb that to another pump and you call up and you say, man, this thing just blew itself all apart, like all the plugs blew out of it, well, I know what you did. And i probably going to warranty it if you're really open and nice about it. But if you try and be shady about it, then I'm going to be like, well, you know, like you and I both know what happened. Like you, you left a little ball out. And uh, yeah, that's what happens. So, it, you know, doing what we do, with injectors and things like that, um, you know, trying to learn about the pack car stuff and the Cummins ISX stuff. There is weeks that go into that. And Skyler's, he does, he builds like one set of injectors a day. And, but his profitability or his value to this company isn't building injectors. There's guys that once Skyler gets to a point and he yells at me and he goes, Hey man, I need you for like five minutes or an hour or three hours or whatever. Like I go over there, we work together for a few I get caught up on what he's learned 
and then I've got a fresh view on what we could try to get him to the next level. And in a very short amount of time, that kid figures out a lot of stuff. So uh, proper tools, you know, making sure that he's got amazing tools, um, collecting data, and making sure the data is repeatable. Um, this industry is just, as far as injectors are concerned, like when people call them sticks, I want to punch people. Just to me, that's like so barbaric and so, you know, gross when they don't know what goes on in our injector shop. You know, like we're going to spend a truckload of capital, but for somebody to even catch up to where we are right now, they'd have to spend a truckload of capital. And on top of that, you'd have to spend hours and hours and Time. weeks, months, years catching up to, to what we've learned on these tools. You know, and there is, I went to Texas here a few weeks ago, maybe, maybe a month ago, I don't know. So I went to the HDAWADS show in Gaylord, Texas. <sighs> Walking around, and some guys from Australia walk up, and they're like, "Hey, Lenny Reed, like, yeah, yeah, Lenny Reed." I watch YouTube videos. Good job, mate. Good job. Re four really super cool cats, and they're from all over Australia. They're not neighbors, but they're all like diesel fuel injection guys, right? And there's one fellow with him, the uh, the quietest guy, and he walks up to me privately, just maybe a couple hours later, and he's, "Hey, need." right shape tube you know his australian accent and there's people in chaos i couldn't really hear him I'm like oh yeah what what was that sir and he's like well the right shape tube I'm like right shape tube and then he whips his phone out and he starts showing me right shape lines that i recognize from my machine and i'm like oh right shape yeah 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 yeah. i get it yeah, yeah. okay what are we going to talk about now he's like well are you enjoying it are you liking it i'm like well yeah it's great and he's so then he starts telling me a bunch of details on what to look for while watching Rate Shape. Who the fuck is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> and he's like, well, I sold that not years ago to uh, the guy that I bought it from. What? Yeah, 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 I made it. You what? <laughs> I made that several years ago. You made that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So then he starts asking me about, you know, abrasive flow machining. And he's like, you using a slurry or you using the mud? I'm like, what? He, I, I got both. He's like, eh, good. You, you're using a slurry most, right? I'm like, well, we're getting to the point where that's becoming the most effective. Yes. Uh, it's bloody, bloody expensive materials. I can, I can give you a recipe on how to manufacture that yourself. It's super cheap. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no problems. <laughs> I can go to like tractor supply store or the auto parts store and I can get on Alibaba and I can make this stuff because this dude, his name is Pat. This dude is a wealth of knowledge. He is the most reading it, it he is the most well-educated well-read fella i know in the diesel industry he daily sends me stuff from u.s patent office uh all the oems um i don't i mean he's been doing this for a very 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 long time and he's still very active like the guy's in good health and he's really sharp um He's overwhelming with the amount of stuff that I'm collecting from this guy and the amount of reading I can read. I mean, I've got, bear in mind, I'm home and there's 15 pages right in front of me that I printed last week just to try and come home and read a little bit of. The dude's unreal. It's He loves this industry so much that he's constantly searching for new knowledge. And meeting that cat was just... Uh, a really good experience so i'm super excited to go to australia and hang out with him at his place because he only works on one injector period that is it like all he does is one style injector he's got several hundred of them lined up and if you want it quicker than he can get it to you he will offer you to come grab it today not a problem it's not be fixed it's not be done but you can come get it so fortunately for the industry that he's in these injectors don't run until they die. They run until so many hours and they get serviced out. 
So whenever you own the object that uses that injector, you just own spares all the time. So if he has 300 injectors and he builds three of them a day, you're out, you know, four months, five months before you get your injector out, you have enough backups that you're always going to keep your machine moving. And that's just how that industry goes. Uh, man, I tell you. So, yeah, I guess I'm actually very thankful about some of the relationships. You know, YouTube caused me to meet that fella. So I'm passionate about it. I love it. But the amount of stuff that other people know in this industry that can hybrid together, um, man, there's there's a I'm very excited about it. This. Yeah, very. That's I did read a book lately. Oh, did you? Which one? It was a David Goggins can't hurt me book. Yeah. Recently just kind of got into a funk right through the holidays and uh, started, you know, on the Goggins book, you know, and he, what an amazing human being today, but he's been fat 300 pounds, you know, was a, uh, uh, a guy that would go kill bugs and mice in the middle of the night, like wearing a, a you know, a fumigators mask and, at that point in his life, he was uh, he was not happy with where he was. So listening to him, you know, I started trying to figure out like what could truthfully make me happy. And I think we all have something um, that, you know, kind of a skeleton in our own closet. But it's there because we don't really want to deal with it. Right. And that's been one thing like I've always lifted weights and I've and I've always pictured myself being healthy and, you know, what have you. I wasn't healthy. Um, I was, I've always been strong. I could pick stuff up, put it back down, but that doesn't make me healthy. Lately, I've been, you know, I'll get on the Stairmaster at night, turn the TV on and just watch YouTube for an hour or two and just go on the Stairmaster and just, you know, with a hoodie on and sweating my ass off. Um, and then in the mornings I wake up and then I watch this, uh, ah, it's like the modern day version of Richard Simmons, but basically it's kettlebells and you know, things like that, that I just fling around the, in the living room for like 15, anywhere from eight to 30 minutes. And the cardio exercise is intense. So yesterday I was out snow machining and I was with my buddy, Mike, who's the manager at the shop. And he's like, dude, you are so, that sled is wicked. Like you are everywhere you want to be. You look and you go and you pop and you're there and you're throwing that thing around like crazy. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm not fat. Like you lose 30 pounds and you, these, these workouts I do are like 40 minute or 40 second hit sessions with like 20 seconds of recovery. And when you look at a line and you go, you know, like it's hard work for a minute, but I'm used to 40 seconds of like, you know, like either punching a bag or doing whatever I'm used to 40 seconds of intense, like activity at hundred percent. And then I give myself 20 seconds to like catch my breath. So like my heart rate monitor is like, but yeah, I've dropped 30 pounds in, since January 1st. Wow. Uh, this is crazy. Skin cleared up. Skin tags are gone. Like I was starting to get like little skin tags, you know, on my eyeball or on my eyebrows and stuff, you know, eyeliner or whatever. All that stuff's gone. Like weird shit that I just thought I was getting older is gone. Who'd have thunk, right? Just being in shape. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, well, that's what makes it, you know, the thing that I love to do about podcasts is connecting somebody who wants to hear something to somebody else and they learn. It's the learning part. So when I can get you on the podcast and talk and ask you questions about a 12 valve or what you're doing with um, more precise injectors, or we talked about team building and all that kind of stuff, that's what I love to do. So that's what I look forward to, um, you know, with these collaborations and the testing and the things you're doing for these trucks is, and somebody can ask me how to build a, you know, super clean, well running, you know, O three, and I can I get you on the podcast and ask you, or what, what should we do on this twelve valve? How do you bench test that B pump? How do you make it run like this? What do you do on a six seven power stroke, six seven Cummins? And that's where I think the excitement, you know, like you mentioned in the beginning, those younger guys are doing these videos with these drones and these wheels and tires and stuff. Well, once that barrier kind of goes away where you start to see these newer trucks that make 600, 650, 700 horsepower. People are going to want to do that again. They're going to want to have that. And that's where, you know, Dynamite Diesel Products, yourself, your team there is really going to be a step ahead. 
with being able to deliver it. So when we want something, we want it. You guys got it. You've invested the time. So I think that's going to be really key to the future of it. It's it's gonna it's not just in in three years four years, it won't just be dynamite diesel products. It'll be everybody, because for the entire time I've been in this industry, up till COVID, we all just went to one manufacturer and we modified that part, and we took something that was factory rated to do something and we modified it. And we made it make more power. They didn't run good. They just made more power. And then we started working in the aftermarkets and reshaping our own needle valves and our own nozzle sacks and our own diameter nozzle sack. The empty, the empty area below the needle valve, there's the, the entire sack accumulator area. All of those things, needle to nozzle clearance, needle valve material, different coatings, different thicknesses of coatings. And all of this stuff has either worked, most of it didn't, or it's given us just a little bit of leg up. So in the future, like Dynamite's going to be manufacturing nozzles for a lot of people that we kind of compete against right now, because they're going to have their own spec. And I'll be able to speak to them very, very freely and be like, what are you trying? What do you want to give your customer? Let me help you by cutting. I'm not going to ask you for an engineering drawing or a blueprint because whatever you come to me with probably going to be about two and a half miles off. So just what do you want to give your customer? Well, I want to give my customer this, this, and this sounds good. Let me send you a few samples. You build a few sets. They're going to be labeled A, B, C, D, and you just tell me which one that you want. And then we schedule you to get this many C's every month. And then it's going to be this many D's every month. Well, three months later, the guy's like, man, this project, this, this program's working. And then he wants to get into a new venue for his customer. And I don't give a shit if it's a Kubota tractor, a John Deere tractor, a boat. I don't care what it's going to be. We just want to manufacture parts that can do things without smoking and screwing up the, the environment and the atmosphere, but still make the customer extremely happy. So I'm very excited about where my company's heading because we're going to be able to help everybody in this industry and not just create a bunch of bullshit black smoke and, you know, ruin the ozone. So, yeah, I'm stoked. Like, cause there's only, there's only so many trucks and so many days left. So I just want to make a lot of injection events. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, Dan Pena is. No. Oh, dude, he's a crazy guy. So Dan Pena is this guy. Anyways, super, he calls himself the, the, he was the $50 million man. Now he calls himself the billion dollar man because he he brings in these young fellas, well, guys and girls, and beats the ever-loving shit out of them verbally and tries them to, you know, he tries to teach these people how to be a little more John Wayne and a little less Elton John. Is he an older guy? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen clips because he's really, he's really blunt. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, his favorite word is F, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, absolute favorite word. The dude dropped a... Uh, a fish a fish bowl on a teacher from one story up in like the first grade got thrown out of school in the first grade like on day number three wow he's just a, he's a crazy cat anyway so like he he claims he wants to be like the, the 50 or the the billion dollar man because he wants to generate you know over a billion dollars in like you know net worth kind of a thing going through well, not that he's not going to be ever worth that much money or whatever but his students his prodigies will be you know they've generated that kind of money and I just got to thinking, like, if I could be like the 50 billion injection stroke guy, that'd be kind of fun. Like, if I made 50 billion injection strokes that were clean and crisp, that'd be fun. I don't know how you're going to count that. Though. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was great to catch up with you, Lenny. I, I, I've seen you've been really busy. And, I mean, the race season's coming up. And, I mean, camper, or, you know, towing season going outdoors all that stuff people are gonna be working on trucks and doing different things this spring so it's always great to chat with you get some insights i appreciate you answering that question the listener had about 12 valve and look forward to uh getting some more put together for you about their power strokes or duramax cummins trucks if you want to help that guy even more just tell him to go to our website dynamidiesel.com tell him to go to custom injector order form and that doesn't lock him into purchasing anything and that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get a custom set of injectors, 
But if you don't know anything about what it is you're really trying to do and you fill out the custom injector order form, you know, it's going to be like, what have you done to your truck already? And what's the end goal? And then we can simply call you and say, well, you just need to say stage ones and this cam plate or whatever, right? But I like those forms because in I've seen that form so many times, I see them every day, that I look at all the key things very, very quickly without hearing like all the bullshit, the noise that I don't need to hear about. Um, and then I just write down like what it's going to be. And the sales guys go and they call the customer and they go, okay, well, you know, like this is what Lenny or Skylar decided you need. Well, you know, like I need to tell you all about it. No, not really. You want this much power you're doing, you're towing with it. Like it's a monster truck. It's whatever. Like you wrote all that down. Um, that just cuts to the chase and you get exactly what you need to get. So instead of calling somebody up and then not hearing all the data, you know, it's even got like elevation. Like, where do you live at? In a conversation, am I going to remember to ask you where you live? Yeah. Maybe not. But it's a key piece of data. So if I tell you to buy these injectors and you call me and you're like, bro, this thing barely gets out of its own way. It's just like it's it's drowning in fluid. No shit. Where do you live? Ah, I live at 9,000 feet. I forgot to ask. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that custom injector order form, huge Huge piece of advantage for anybody that wants to make their truck run correctly the first time. I'll definitely make sure and send him over there. I'm sure he'll uh, appreciate it and I'm sure he'll get his 12 valve running where he wants. So it's great chat with you this morning. I'm sure you got a busy day ahead of you and a lot of cool things oh, yeah. to build and those uh, injector injection events <laughs> total that you're working towards. <laughs> when <we> get yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you very much. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 20diesel for 20% off site-wide. If you're in the market for a knife or EDC or hunting, fishing, something around the house, something to put in a toolbox, they've definitely got a ton of choices regardless of what kind of budget you may have to be able to get you a quality knife and save 20% off with code 20diesel. So head on over and check them out. also want to give a shout-out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowe and a 23diesel, John Caleb, all of our Patreon supporters, all of you who are on our Discord, subscribe on YouTube, podcast apps, or on our TikTok, we appreciate all the support that you guys have given us throughout the years. It, uh, it definitely keeps us going. 2023 is a really packed year for us. We're going to have more episodes than we've ever released. We appreciate you guys helping us just be a constant in the top 10, top 15 on uh, iTunes Automotive, which is something we're really appreciative of and love to hear you guys' feedbacks. Reach out to us. There's tons of ways to contact us. Let us know if there's a particular guest or topic you want covered, and we'll get it on the podcast. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.